Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 12-29-2021, and we are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for this time we have as we are looking at the calendar, and we're realizing that the time on the calendar for 2021 is nearing the end. Uh, it just helps us to think about the things that uh, we have uh, committed to you, Father. We, these are milestones, times in our lives when we can stop and look at our progress or the lack thereof. And think about um, what we can do this year in 2022 to continue our progress forward. And we know, Father, as we're here, if we're here in 2022, that means that you have a purpose for our lives and you would have us continue in this new year. So we thank you for bringing us this far. And we thank you for those who have joined our study. And we're asking for wisdom as we approach your word so that we can come to know you better. The words that are found here, Father, give us wisdom as we look at these phrases, uh, as we try to understand how the apostle dealt with Israel in these verses. So, Father, thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with us throughout this year. Thank you for putting up with us, as it were, for all the foolishness that we have been involved in. We thank you for the opportunities that have come our way where we have stepped forward by your spirit and we have seen the joy of the Lord and witnessing and sharing your so great salvation with others. So Father, we also want to remember those who are sick among us, those who uh, are struggling with COVID-19, those who are sick and mourning uh, the loss of loved ones in this pandemic we are in. Father, we thank you so much for the science that you provided answers and that we at least have uh, some protocols available to us so that we can continue. And we thank you for your grace. So Father, those who are sick, those who are struggling financially, those who may be um, uh, in mental health, in need of mental health as well. Uh, we always talk about that our minds will be right before you, Father, but we know how fragile we are in this world. So, Father, we thank you as we progress to this new year that we will continue to be ambassadors for you, uh, those who are ministers of reconciliation. So, Father, give me the right words to say as, as we approach these verses. It's, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, Amen. so we are uh, studying in Romans chapter 10, verses 6 and 7. And for more information, you should know that we have a website. And the website is wordistruth.com. Uh, there you can find a lot of resources about... Uh, various topics and recordings, videos, <laughs> writing. So there's a lot there beyond what we are presenting tonight. And in fact, we, we record these and we do uh, post them on the, on the website. So pretty, pretty sure they're up to date. In any case, so let's dig into Romans 10, 6 and 7. We're going to move quickly as we have a lot of thoughts to cover, but maybe they'll go quick. Romans 10, 6 and 7, you should have notes, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So it's a lot to chew on, but we're going to try to take it phrase by phrase. In your notes, when we speak of salvation being simple or easy, we should take a moment to understand why that is so. 
It is not easy or simple, meaning that there is no wisdom or complexity to it. No, it refers to our part in receiving this so great salvation. God did all the work necessary for it to be offered to us by grace through faith. The cost of grace is extensive. Although the heavy lifting has already been done by the members of the Trinity. What may be hard for many is the condition by which we must receive it, faith. Salvation is God's achievement, not ours. Before we prepare ourselves to be obedient and do great things for God, we should first explore what God has done for us. So as we look at this, let's go right into the first phrase, which is, but the righteousness that is by faith says. So uh, when we, we, we caught this last time because we contrasted it, right? Uh, in contrast to the righteousness that is by the law, we have righteousness that is by faith for salvation and righteousness and justification. So it is a contrast from what we studied last week. And it says the righteousness of the law is about this. And it went into all the different things that the righteousness of the law speaks of. And we, we went into all the, uh, how Israel, were they were in the land, but God was warning them about some of the practices that they were could possibly or potentially be involved in that would cause them to forfeit their status in the land. So we went through uh, Leviticus chapter 18. We, we, we all the way, we even went into Levit Leviticus chapter 20. And we saw a lot of warnings about uh, how Israel, if they would do what is right by avoiding some of these horrible sins that their predecessors were involved in, then God would allow them to stay as residents in the land. So, as we saw that, Paul is making a contrast to say, yeah, there is a righteousness by the law, meaning if you do these things, you will live, you won't die, and you may be able to at least be in the land. Uh, you know, it's conditional based on your obedience. Well, so, but he's contrasting that with the righteousness that comes by faith. His, which, which is where we are in this passage. So when we think about that, he's saying it's not like the righteousness by the law where you have to be obedient. And if you're not obedient, there'll be consequences. Uh, obviously, for Israel, it will be dire consequences. But when it comes to salvation or justification, righteousness, receiving righteousness, it is by faith. So this is where he is pointing that out to Israel. Why is he pointing it out that way? It's because Israel thought that their obedience to the law, where we read, uh, you know, it would bring them salvation. Well, it, it brought them the opportunity to stay in the land. That was what it was. And not die. That's why it says those who do these things will live in them. In other words, if you obey these injunctions, you'll live. If you don't, well, then God will, there will be consequences. So, so let's dig into the notes here. I just wanted to make sure we understood the context of the contrast between the righteousness which is by the law and the righteousness that is by faith. That is the point Paul is trying to bring here. So let's dig in. Point B. The Jews were insisting that God recognize their obedience to the law. However, that was never the case. Now, I could easily say that because of all the scriptures that we have read already. But I'm going to throw a couple at us. Romans 3, 19 and 20. So let's look at that one. Romans 3 and 19 and 20 says... Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, 
so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So verse 20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Now that's counter to our thinking, just to know. You won't be declared righteous. In other words, even though the law is a reflection of God's righteousness, people attempting to do it cannot be declared righteous. Let me just say that again. You cannot be declared righteous by trying to keep the law. That's the wrong approach to God. Now, if a person just started listening to me, they'll probably say, well, wait a minute, Doug. Are you trying to tell me that you shouldn't do good things? Is that what you're saying? That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying in order to be justified, in order to put in the right relationship with God, in order to be saved, in order to have righteousness that comes from God, it is by faith. It is not by obedience, doing, keeping the law, keeping some moral code, trying to be good in God's eyes. It is simply by faith. So that's verse 20. Let's read it again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works, or the works are the doing of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, we should know by looking at the law that we need a Savior. We're a mess. We can't do it ourselves. If you read the verses preceding this, you'll see why. Because there's none righteous, not even one. And then, obviously, we, we studied Romans 10, 1 through 4. Why is Paul dealing with this point? It's because... Israel needed salvation. So, 10.1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Obviously, if our prayer and heart's desire, well, Paul's prayer and heart's desire, if it is for the Israelites, what is he praying? That they keep the law, that they become more obedient, that they become more circumspect in the way they walk before. No, none of those things. He's praying for their salvation because they're lost. How does he know they're lost? Because they're pursuing God in a wrong way. Verse 2, For I can testify about them. They are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, how did they do that? By keeping the law. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination or the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Believes in Christ, that is. So to note, that is the most important part of when we talk about righteousness that comes from the law. And righteousness, that is by faith. This is where we want to, we want to focus our attention and we want to make sure this is part of, of your experience as well. Don't pursue God from the wrong perspective here. If you're thinking about, well, I'm just going to show God that I'm really good. and I'm... No, God is saying you're not. There's none righteous, not even one. So let's keep going. Their insistence on trying to make God justify them was the wrong approach. Point C. Paul set out from the beginning of Romans to demonstrate this point, and here's the quote. You don't have to turn anywhere. Here it is. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So this is early. This is Romans chapter 1. right? So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What kind of righteousness is that? A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's Romans 1.17. So right in the very beginning, he establishes that I'm going to bring out some interesting things about the gospel. Gospel is the good news. How, you, how, you, how can you become saved? You've you got to hear the good news if you already know the bad news. So what are we saying here is that there is a righteousness in the gospel. Well, we're going to see that it's not a righteousness that we produced. It is a righteousness that Christ produced produced. So that's the most important. A righteousness that is by faith 
All we do is believe from first to last. Just as it's written, righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. And then point D, this is this first phrase. We should have an illustration ahead of us in the text about righteousness by faith. So as if we're looking at that phrase, but the righteousness that is by faith says, what does it say? Obviously, he's going to illustrate it for us. So we're just trying to make sure we have continuity with the context, okay? So we should be expecting illustrations ahead. Point number two. So what's the next phrase? Do not say in your heart. So first point is Paul is anticipating the Jewish thinking here. He has done this many times already in Romans. A common phrase, what should we say then? Shall we do this or that? And then he'll say, God forbid, no, we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't think about it that way. Although he says that because the Jewish mind does think about it that way. And he's just laying it all on the table. He's illustrating it all for us. That's the point. So he's anticipating Jewish thinking. Obviously, Paul understands Jewish thinking. But we don't want to leave this at Paul's doorstep. We want to make sure we understand that the Bible is God-breathed, meaning God is the one who is directing the apostle to write what he is writing. This is not all Paul's mind. It is God using Paul as an instrument. So here, Paul, he is anticipating Jew, Jewish thinking here. He admonishes them that God has already done the work of salvation. In other words, it's by faith. Trust God. You don't have to prove anything to God. You know, you ever see people, they have to prove that they are good. And then, so that means they got to show God. Believing for them is not enough. They said, well, I believe, but I got to let God know that I, I am on his side, that I'm for him. He's not asking all of that. In fact, he's saying, leave all that home because you are not worthy. You are not on my side. In fact, in Romans uh, chapter, I believe it is five, we are called enemies of God. And Christ died for us when we were his enemies, it says. No, we all start out antagonistic to God. We just don't know it. Right? If, if you pull somebody aside and say, are you God's enemy? They'll say, absolutely not. But if you ask God, said, well, God, who's your enemies? And he says, he said, well, the people who are against me. And who are they? All the people that are born in Adam are against him. Why? Because they're born dead. They're born separated from God. They're born condemned. They're born with a sin nature, a nature of propensity toward evil. All of this is why we are antagonistic to God. But yet people don't feel that way. You know, we feel like, well, no, I've done good things. I'm fairly a good person. And why shouldn't I think of myself? I mean, God, you must think of me as a good person as well. God does not share our opinions of ourselves. So, uh, so he's, Paul is putting it, laying it down for us to help us understand these points, right? So, this is, so point B is there are no impossibilities here. So expect God to do what he does best, and that is to save. God is the one who saves us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We could say those, say it that way. And the Holy Spirit comes to reveal that information. So uh, there's no impossible. It's not impossible to be saved. I know it's a big ask for us to be righteous as he is righteous. And how do we get that? I mean, we would never be able to surmount that hurdle because of how high God's standards are, we can never meet them. And there's a phrase in the Bible that sort of says that. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's in Romans chapter 3. And so, no, none of us can ever. And James 2.10 says, if we keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all. We're talking about standards here. God's standards are very high. Let's continue in our notes. So there are no impossibilities here. Even though those standards are so high, God has done the heavy lifting. He has done the work so that we can have salvation. We can be righteous before him. 
All we have to do is believe. And that's it. So point C, there is no reason why the Jews cannot believe and receive righteousness as a gift. Notice, as a gift. How do you receive a gift? You can only receive it graciously. Well, you can be ungracious about receiving it. You can be, you can be not grateful when you receive a gift. But the only thing you can do, generally speaking, is to receive it. That's it. Except if what was happening with the Jews here. They, they were stubborn. Right? That was the problem. They were keeping the law and they thought that their righteousness by keeping the law would be able to merit them salvation with God. Unfortunately, that was not the case. So <clears throat> we know um, they were stubborn about this and they were angry with God because Gentiles were, were being saved and they didn't even have the law. So if you read Romans 3, 21 through 24, you see this, but a righteousness by faith is through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I'm not going to turn to this. You can turn to it and read those verses for yourself. But that is the way we receive righteousness, not because we're somehow good or inherently good or uh, we're born somewhere good or nothing. None of that works with God. Point D, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, and we're getting to it now, 30.11. And this is what he says in this verse, because we're, this is the passage where we get these next two verses from. I'm only reading the first verse of that passage, or the first thought of the passage, as to why. Uh, here, here it says, um, this is Deuteronomy 30.11. Now, what I am commanding you today... It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. So that's what the Jews thought. They just assumed that salvation was too difficult. And they could not achieve that. Because they were trying to do it through the works of the law. And we already read, through the works of the law, no person will be justified before him. That's an impossibility as far as the Jews were concerned. But in this case, when it's not about the righteousness that, excuse me, that comes through the law. It's about the righteousness that comes through faith. And as you read Romans three twenty-one through twenty-four, you see the difference there. So he's quoting that it is not too difficult for you, or beyond your reach. And as we're getting to to these verses, uh, I think we're making some good ground. Let's dig in to the next phrase. And this is what it is. Who will ascend into heaven? And then there is parentheses. Uh, this, this parenthetical state, uh, statement is, that is, to bring Christ down. Now, so, as if Paul is saying, okay, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Now, this also speaks to a couple of studies ago where we talked about... Um, the use of New Testament writers and how they quote from the Old Testament. And the fact that they are, in fact, prophets who are delivering a new message and they're doing everything they can to find ways to convey that message. They may use anything they want, even Old Testament passages that they feel can make a point to help people understand what 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 he is they are teaching in the New Testament. So that is what we have here in how Paul is quoting Moses. So we're going to try to dig in and help us understand what he means in these verses. Where he says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Okay, well, so first of all, point A, Paul quotes Moses. And let's review Moses' message to Israel. So let's just read where he's quoting from so we can get the context of what Moses said. Then we'll talk about how Paul used it. So Deuteronomy, uh, it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> if you don't go there much, well, so hopefully the apostle took us here, so that's why we're here. Deuteronomy 30, 
verses 11 through 18. Now, this is the same verse we read before to begin with in verse 11. Let's just read it quickly. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up, to, up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. So you may obey it. See, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. <laughs> we're back to where we were last week, right? Uh, for I've, I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. And you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I declare to you, uh, this, is, this is the last verse, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So, so now we should have some context for what Moses is trying to tell these Israelites. Now, first of all, we should know that Moses is not trying to tell them how to be saved. Well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong there because saved has two connotations. One is physical deliverance. Like, there were eight souls that were saved in the ark, right? Well, they were physically delivered. Well, the same word is used as eternal salvation. And then there is eternal salvation when we use the word saved. But here, if the Israelites are going to stay in the land as God's people and uh, his holy nation, uh, they would need to obey the rules, the commands, the ordinances, right? All of that. <clears throat> because if they didn't, there would be serious consequences. So that's what, that's what Moses is talking about. Just a brief reading of the context shows us that. So back to our notes. So he's quoting, uh, so we reviewed, this is point A, we reviewed Moses' message to Israel. We know what that's about. It's really not about salvation, because remember, uh, Paul is contrasting that with salvation uh, by grace. So, so point B, ascend into heaven. So let's just look at the phrase, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. So I'm just making some sort of equivalency here. To ascend into heaven is equivalent to bring Christ down. So just look in the context, you can kind of see that. Paul is helping us to understand what he means, okay, as opposed to how Moses may have used those words. Paul is saying, I'm taking these words and I'm going to use them how I want to use them to, to make a point that I'm trying to make. Not necessarily saying, okay, Moses, I'm going to quote or I'm going to teach uh, the Mosaic Law. He's not teaching the Mosaic Law. That's not the point here. He's trying to teach salvation by grace to Jews, to Israel, who has, have rejected, for the most part, salvation by grace. So Paul's trying to make points here. So ascend into heaven would mean to bring Christ down to heaven. Meaning ascend to heaven, go get Christ and bring him down. Okay. So Paul's point C helps us, uh, hopefully, with these two illustrations. Paul's use of this here can be contrasted in two ways. This is the first way. Moses uses the words to illustrate that Israel can obey this law and thus survive in the land. It is not too hard for them. In other words, they could do it. Right? Point two is Paul uses these words to illustrate the simplicity of righteousness by faith. It is attainable by grace and not hard at all. Right? You can definitely do it, Paul is saying. And he's using... Moses's words here to illustrate that. So notice it's two different points. Moses is not talking about salvation by grace. Paul is. 
Moses is using those words to illustrate how they can keep the law. Paul is using those words to illustrate the simplicity of righteousness by faith. How easy it is as opposed to the way the Israelites thought keeping the law would justify them. Continuing in our notes, point D. So, ascend into heaven. So, who will ascend into heaven? And that is to bring Christ down. And the work of salvation would have been hard or even impossible, but the Jews did not have to do the work. God did. So, if we're talking about salvation, yes, it's difficult, it's hard, it's the highest standard in the, that God has for the human race. There's no way anyone in the human race could meet it except Christ. Galatians 4.4, 4, Christ is the one who brought Christ, uh, the Father is the one who brought Christ down. Let's le- read Galatians. Uh, you know what? Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Um, here, yeah, there it is. But w- here it is. But when the set time had fully come, God, God's God the Father, sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So there's there's a lot there. So let's just sort of go back over it again. But when the set time had fully come, in other words, when God had reached the time for him to send his son into the world, and we're talking about uh, the birth of Christ, Excuse me, at Christmas, which we really don't know when Christ was born, what day. <coughs> so Christmas is okay if you want to use Christmas to celebrate the birth of Christ. I see absolutely nothing wrong with that because we don't know what day it was. Well, we don't think it was Christmas time anyway. It was too cold. Um, it's not when the shepherds were out in the field and so forth and so on, but... That's not here nor there. If we don't know, we can pick whatever time we want to celebrate the birth of Christ. It's okay. So when the time had fully come, when God was ready, God sent his son, meaning into the world, the incarnation, born of a woman. That's born into the human race, born under the law. He was a Jew, okay, when he was born. So to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And, and it goes on about sons and, you know, how we, the relationship we have. But that is the point. Who, who brought Christ down? God the Father. He did it right at the very time. He was ready to do it. Uh, and then, point E, God brought Christ down through the incarnation. And here's another verse in John 1.14 is very specific about it. John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word... If you read who is the Word, he was in the beginning with was the Word, Word was with God, Word was God. That's John 1 1. But in John 1 14, the Word became flesh, human. Uh, it was born into the human race, born of a woman, and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. He was one of us. He made his home among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here it is, he came down from the Father. So this is very clear throughout the writings in John. Jesus says, I've, I've come here to do the will of the Father. That's why I'm here. So, so notice, who will ascend into heaven that, and, and, and when it says that is to bring Christ down, I'm back in the notes here. It's a reference to how would could it would it be it would be impossible for us to go into heaven and bring Christ down, but that we don't have to do that. The Father already did it. He already brought Christ through what we call the incarnation. It's done, and we don't have to repeat it. It's a finished work. It's not something we we need to augment. It is done. It is finished. So, or we have the next phrase and point number four, and then we're, we're zeroing in on our time here, so we're closing. Or, who will descend into the deep? This is point number four. And here is the parenthetical statement, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. 
So you have bring Christ down, bring Christ up from the dead. Let's, de let's deal with the points here. Paul quotes from Moses, but adds what he wants to illustrate the righteousness that is my faith. So, so we see how it all works, right? Paul is dealing with these words, but he is adding words so that he can make the point that he is trying to teach. And I hope everybody understands that and doesn't get hung up on thinking, well, Paul is trying to teach the law. He is not trying to teach the Mosaic law. He's trying to teach us salvation by grace. Now, this is not to say that uh, that wasn't a part of the Mosaic law. It was. However, the reason why we're here is because the Jews rejected that. Israel decided they did not want to believe that, and they tried to become righteous before God by the works of the law. That's why we're here in the first place. So point B, descend into the deep is equivalent to or is equal to bringing Christ up from the dead. Now, how, how in the world do, do we get that? Well, God, Paul got that. Or will, who will ascend into the deep? Meaning the grave, the, you know, the depths, uh, a person. And, and what does it mean to Paul? That is, what, how is he illustrating it? To bring Christ up from the dead. So Christ died on the cross for us. And how was, who could bring him up? Nobody could do that except God. So he's the one who resurrected Christ. And the resurrection of Christ is not just, well, he got up and, you know, this is a great thing that Christ rose from the dead. But it also signifies the approval of the Father for the work of Christ while he was here on earth. In other words, he resurrected him, sort of sending his stamp of approval on this person that he did do everything he was supposed to do and secured what he was supposed to secure for us. So, so descending into the deep is going down and bringing Christ up after he was crucified and died. Who could bring Christ back? Nobody but God, and only God did it. So point C. So we have, here it is in a nutshell here, Christ's work in a nutshell, his incarnation, his life, his sacrificial death, and resurrection from the dead. This is all kind of signified or typified in this phrase. Who will, who will go to heaven and bring Christ down? Who will uh, go to the depths or to the deep to bring Christ up from the dead? Nobody has to do this. God already did the work. It's done. And so that is the context we have. Um, and 1 Timothy 3.16 to me is, a, is one of the verses that also signify this very thing. I'm going to read it. 1 Timothy 3.16. It's almost like John 3.16, if you could remember such verses. And here it is. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. And he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So there you have, in a nutshell, the work of Christ on our behalf. None of this uh, do we take part in. All of this is part of what God has done in order to bring salvation to us by grace, free of charge, as a gift of God, not of our works, lest any one of us would boast. So, as Christ's work, point D, all of this is done, as I said, for us. We did not contribute anything to this work, and that is the heavy lifting of salvation with its righteousness and justification. So, Jews were seeking something that was free. Jews were working hard for that which was by grace, given by faith. So it's sort of hard for them to swallow since they have been working so hard. They would like for it to be by works. However, it is not. It is not. So point E, salvation is not too hard for anyone, especially for the Jew. And as we have talked about before, 
just don't put the cart before the horse. And that's what happens with salvation is people think that they're saved and they refuse to believe in Christ, but yet they want to prove to God that they are worthy. They should get it. And they think, you know, God, if I get to the end and there's this judgment to determine whether I'm going to be saved, I'm sure you're going to trot out all my good works and you're, going to, you're probably going to bring up the bad things I've done, but I'm sure that my good works will outweigh the bad ones, and thus I will be saved. That Salvation is not like that at all. And I know other religions out there that teach such things, but that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about grace. Salvation is the gift of God. It is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We could go on and on. There are many passages that speak of salvation by grace. So, a couple of points of interest here as we as we head toward the closing bell. Uh, some Q&A for us. And here it is. This is John 6, 28 and 29. Just a bet- little conversation between the Jews and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Great question. These are people who would probably expect Jesus to say, well, you got to keep the law. That's the works God requires. However, this is what Jesus answered. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Obviously, he's talking about himself. Jews, they rejected that thought and wanted another thought. So anyway, there is this quick Q&A about Jesus. And what is the work of God? Jesus said, there's no work to do what God requires. It's just simply believing. That's it. And you can be righteous before God. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, says Romans 4. So, point G. Here's the cart before the horse again. This is John chapter 5, 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That's, that's as we just said, John 39, 5, 39, and 40. So, the Jews looked at the scriptures. They held the scriptures in their hand. They walked around town with the Bibles and scrolls in their, under their arms, and they, they are very diligently thinking, you know, these, this is the Mosaic Law, and this is everything about our salvation, and they diligently studied them thinking that because of all of that, they had justification before God. And Christ pointed that out. He says, you, you, you're very diligent in studying those scriptures. But don't you know, you, this is what you're missing as you're studying them. You don't understand that those scriptures are talking about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me so that you can have life freely. And, and that is the story in a nutshell of these verses. So we're going to have to, our time is, is really uh, getting to a close here. But I just had some closing thoughts for 2021, and then we'll open it up for a Q&A. And that won't take long, generally. We wait until the first couple services we have in the new year to really identify some things and some thoughts for the new year. We'll do that this year as well. But just some closing thoughts. This is our last service uh, of this year, 2021. And we have covered a lot of ground. If you're not sure how much ground we covered, just take a look at the website and just review it for yourself how much we've covered. Now, we've gone through Romans. We've gone to the point where we're at 10 now, but we've gone through Romans 8, Romans 9, which are heavy scriptures to cover. Romans 9, very controversial scriptures, but we've documented those things. Um, and, And John, we have gone through Romans 15, 16, and now we're in Romans, I shouldn't say Romans, it's John uh, 
15, 16, and now we're in John 17. So, talk about scriptures, pertinent, important scriptures. We have covered some uh, deep things, and we are also touching on uh, the milk of the word, which is salvation. So, there is so much that I think we have accomplished, although I would be tooting my own horn if I were to say that too, too much. Uh, this is really a subjective thing for you to evaluate where we are, and not only where we are, but where you are, as far as your progress in, in the word of truth and the Lord and your devotion and commitment to him. You know, one of the things that we think about at the end of the year is a milestone. I do this when my birthday comes, which I won't say what it is right now, but whenever that time comes, it's a good opportunity. It's a year. I can evaluate what happened in this last year. And I would hope, this is not about making resolutions, but I would hope that you stop for a moment and think about where you are and what is your motivation? Where are you going? If you're just marking time, you're just like running in place, then wh where are you going with, with that? What's happening in your life? Stop and really consider what you want to do in this world. None of us are promised tomorrow. We don't know um, if we're going to be here in 2022 and beyond. So what we God is asking of us is to have the proper motivation, to make the right, right steps in life so that we can glorify Him. And obviously if you're saved, you're saved. None of this is about salvation. It is more about rewards. God does reward those who diligently seek Him. So we have an opportunity to stop. None of us, I can't do it for you. I can only do this for myself. This is introspection that I can do and that only I can do. I'm not going to share uh, all of this with uh, others and neither should you. This is something between you and God. And think about what is going on in your life. And there may be be some things that you need to change in order to accomplish God's will. Don't be surprised if those challenges come to, come to the front of your mind. You need to really start thinking about what do I need to do that different in 2022? So that's the first. What do I need to do different? What do I need to keep doing and what do I really need to just stop doing? And as you think about this, we're talking about motivation. Things that zap your motivation. So we'll, we'll develop these three things a little bit more as we go through our next couple services. And we have some Q&A as well. So what are we doing here? What's going on? Where are you going? What is your motivation? What do you want? What, what what mark do you want to leave in this world? What, what, what do you want people to say about you? Well, I used to say it this way. What do you want them to write on your tombstone when you leave? Here lies, you fill in the blank. A fine this, a fine that, a great mother, father, child. What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want that to say? So we'll talk more about this. As you know, we can also say Happy New Year because it is soon approaching. And it's not just, well, i got to remember to write 2022 now instead of 2021, but it is a milestone that we have accomplished another year. All of us can say that, good or bad, whether the year was good for us or whether it was not so good. So, we will talk more about motivation next week in the new year as we uh, begin. And what I want to do is open the floor for any thoughts, questions that you may have as we uh, 
get ready to close out 2021. I'll pause. Well, I, for one, um, want to get back to doing some blogging that I used to do. Um, and it's, it's a way for me to uh, you know, really solidify the, the lessons that I'm learning. Um, you know, to, to write it out, I think, is it is a really good exercise that I've gotten away from. So I'm 22. That's certainly all I want to move back to. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I've also thought about uh, the idea of putting a book together um, with the material that is already in the blog. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I don't think it's too ambitious. I don't think it's you know outrageous. I think it's feasible. Go ahead and do that. Right. And, um, that's my goal. Mm. Yeah, I think a worthy goal. I this to get the word of God out there and um, a forum that people can receive it and is written logically and clearly, I think is a good goal. If And you have that ability to write, so I would say pursue it. And um, I have goals in, in those areas as well, as you already know. So... Um, I'm not even going to mention it right now, but as you know, I am certainly interested in in writing. So that is coming. Uh, I have certainly neglected it this past year or some, somewhat as we worked on the website, getting the website up and running. But yes, those goals are certainly uh, something that would help. And it keeps you. It's As I say, writing is therapeutic to me. What is therapeutic to you? When I say therapeutic, I mean spiritually therapeutic. And I'll pause. I'm sorry, what is therapeutic? Right. Or the writing? Yes. To me it is. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I would say it's, it's that as well. So it's, it serves subtle purposes. Um, you know, I think it's a nice quiet time to spend with God um, in writing. It's, it's a way to communicate with Him um, in, in prayer, in my heart, uh, leaving a legacy, leaving um, you know things out there for other people. And um, I, I, well, I don't know what else it is, but. <laughs> I guess it, it's a lot of things. One of one of the things I want to incorporate in the writing is a mix of the lessons that I've learned, um, such as salvation by grace and what it means to be married to Christ. As kind of like um, flipping the story around in in Ephesians chapter five, and um, what do those things mean in general, um, and biblically speaking, and also what are the things that uh, that I have gone through, that I'm sure others will have to go through. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were times of feeling like uh, I was betrayed by people who were, were you know, authority, were supposed to be authorities in uh, teaching the Bible. And, and yet, um, studying the Bible in particular has, has shown that to be uh, quite different. So I do want to share those experiences as well. Yes, we all come from somewhere, and we all have somewhere to go. And uh, so, yeah, your your experiences will certainly help others. I'm sure, sure. Yeah. Other thoughts out there before we do close this out? Well, you know, to spring this on you, I won't. Uh, require that anybody speak but what we'll do is next week when we begin our Q&A's will be focused uh, on motivation and all of those things Uh, and you know we can talk about it generally speaking so that if writing is not your thing then that's not something you're going to pursue but 
I'm sure there's other ways God has gifted you uh, that you may want to pursue. So this is, these are things. And, and you know what they say, have a plan. And if you're just drifting, well, then you're probably not going to get where uh, your goals will, will lead you uh, or, or you want to, your goals to lead you. So drifting, you know, has motivation. Motivation in life brings capacity for life. It brings enjoyment of life. Uh, you know, it's, it's like I'm, I was in the store the other day and I, I was talking to one of the cashiers and... Uh, she really looked like she enjoyed her job. I mean, she was happy to do it and bubbling over. And that kind of excited me and made me talk to her and say a couple words to her. And she, she was, I said, it's really busy this time of year. Oh, yeah, but it's really good. I love meeting people, she said. And, and it, it, it really inspires me. And the time goes by before you know it is over. You know, she's just really happy. And I just thought, yeah, she has motivation. Now, obviously... We're not talking about spiritual things, but within the spiritual um, whole understanding that we have, where are you going? What do you want out of even what we do here from week twice a week when we meet? What do you want from that? Are you getting what you need? Uh, do you have questions? Uh, you know, let's lay it on the table as we think about it. Now, lay it on the table for yourself, obviously. But don't neglect it. Take some time to do this. Yeah, it's your homework. To think, if you haven't thought about it, well, then you ought to start. It's time that you started thinking about such things. Uh, we are goal-oriented here because we know that God has work for us to do as those who are sons and daughters of God. So with that, we, we're going to have to conclude with this study and this year but we will be back we are here god willing next week i'm working towards sunday so we'll be in john chapter 17 while we're dealing with one of the most complex and deep verses in the bible john 17 5 let's talk so we're going to close and let's let me just close out with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time you've given us. We thank you for this year. It's been especially a year of wisdom and knowledge, of blessing. Uh, we, we have come so far, Father, and it is only due to the spirit of truth leading and guiding us into all truth. So as we stop and think about the coming year and we are so grateful for all that you have called us to from eternity past you chose us in him and we, we're so thankful that we're here expressing these thoughts uh, back to you uh, in this time we thank you for each person that is on the call the families that are represented and the extended families, we pray for each, each person in particular in this ministry uh, that wants to know you better. So, Father, we pray for uh, that things will be clear, uh, understandable, so that people can come to not only a saving knowledge of you, but that they may come to the full knowledge of the truth. We thank you for Word is Truth Christian Church. It has become an oasis of things that have brought life to our, our, our existence here. We thank you that we have this outlet to be able to talk about anything and everything, uh, to ask questions, to, um, to go back and forth with the text, to understand what is being said there. Just to come to know what does the Bible teach is important for us, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus who sacrificed his life for us 
so that we could have eternal life and that many sons could be brought into glory. We thank you for salvation, which is free. It is a gift that anybody can believe in Christ and have eternal life. And before we close 2021, we could say the words of life, which is that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you will have life in his name. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You can have eternal life in 2021 by simply putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by telling God the Father that you believe that he sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, that he paid for every sin that we would ever commit in this world, and that he is our righteousness as well. And we can have that by simply telling God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ. And if we do, that is the very moment that we will have, just like the scripture says, eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as the scripture says, and you will be saved. So thank you, Father, for those words of life that you have given us. And we pray that we will be stewards, ambassadors of these things. All these things we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.